0: you. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. And you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. I'm just honored to be here with you guys and being able to share the Word of God with you. Um, And it's so applicable what we're going to talk through today because the the way City Church has partnered with Anchor to help us plant our church. And we're two years in into Anchor Church and We've just had this just radical, radical growth over the last uh, couple of months, and you know we've grown to a membership of about 150 people, and it's just God is like saving people. Like, I mean, people at the gym, people are getting saved, and we're baptizing people all the time, and you know. But but you guys loved us and invested in us when we were just a little home church of 20 people that had a a heart for a community and said we just want to care for the poor and serve the needy and um, God has blossomed our church to be, now we're two years in, a self-sustaining church and, and we really couldn't have done it without your prayer, without your your support, without your your kindness. And uh, I, I love Drake so much because I remember calling him and the first time I met him and, you know, we just connected because I I went to Dallas Baptist University too and we were like, oh, you're a DBU alumni. And we were like, we immediately hit it off and uh, we just have so much heart match and, and I'm grateful for you. Um, this is some of you guys' first time meeting me, but um, my family and I, we are so grateful for you and we thank you for your continual encouragement and support. Um, I will be teaching out of Philippians 1, 3 through 11, and the title of my message today is Defiant Joy. Uh, you guys are going through an awesome series, and as he was telling me about it, I was like, man, I want to take my church through this series. This is really cool. Um, and so I get to share a little bit from Philippians, and, and you know, I was here. I want to ask you guys this real quick question last week I came and I ran the boulder boulder. How many guys do the boulder boulder? Is that is that a good thing? Do you guys enjoy that as local boulder people when like 50,000 people show up and run in your neighborhood? Is that cool or are you guys like no I wish they would go somewhere else? You love it. Okay. Okay. Some of us, it was, my wife and I ran it for the first, it was her first time. I ran it like 10 years ago and it was, it was something good. But I was like thinking to myself, I wonder how people in Boulder feel when they come into their neighborhood and people just run all over. But okay. Uh, I digress. Let's go to Philippians chapter one. And we're going to, I'm just going to read three through 11 and we'll pray. Um, and, and this is the word uh, from Paul verse three. He says, I thank my God filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your grace, for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you for your word, your authoritative, powerful scripture. Holy Spirit, I pray that you move through this room as a spirit of many waters and just encourage, uplift, challenge us, God, as we study your scripture as we investigate the joy that you have embedded in every word laced throughout your scripture, would you so challenge us and encourage us in this? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, our, our culture has told us to really pursue happiness one of the beauties of this series that you guys get to go through uh the summer joy ride and thinking about defiant joy is that really it gets us to a biblical principle of what god wants for us which is much deeper and better than just happiness you know happiness is so fleeting. It disappears so quickly. It's like chasing the wind. As soon as you grab a hold of it, you think you have it. It's gone, right? Like happiness is always there for a moment and then it disappears. And our culture constantly tells us just pursue what makes you happy. Pursue what makes you happy. It's in contrast to what scripture says, and even it's in contrast to what we as the Christian community have, have called, um, easy joy. Where, where we're supposed to be joyful and it's supposed to come the easy way. Where, where it's supposed to be natural that life is supposed to be easy for us and, and we're supposed to have joy, but it, it doesn't come through hard work. And, and so you see on social media that hashtag blessed, right? Like, like I got a new car, hashtag blessed, right? Like I'm on vacation with my family, hashtag blessed, right? We're always happy when we're doing what we love. And, and we're sad when when we're at work and when we're not on vacation and and when people are not running through our neighborhood right like that that's it but but that hashtag blessed it, it's so out of context it's so out of context of what Paul would have written of what Jesus would have experienced if it was Paul on social media right now, he would have been like, man, lost everything for Jesus hashtag blessed you know what I'm saying? Like Got kicked out of my friendship group, hashtag blessed, right? Was beaten and persecuted for sharing my faith in public, hashtag blessed. But when that stuff happens to us, we're like, God, where are you? (laughs) Where are you in the midst of my suffering? And Jesus tells us, man, be joyful through affliction. So how do we live with a defiant joy? Paul talks about a deep joy that is apart from external circumstances. Defiant joy is joy in the Lord. It is joy in his kingdom. It's joy in his work. It's joy outside of earthly circumstances where we get to defy what we experience and get to live in the joy of the Lord. But our culture is constantly pushing us towards happiness. It's in the constitution, right, In the Declaration of Independence, we're supposed to pursue happiness at all costs. It's our right to be happy. I think Jesus would disagree with us. I think there's something God wants to develop in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which means it grows in you and has nothing to do with what happens on the outside. It, happen, it It's all the matter of what's going on on the inside. And so as we look through this passage in Philippians 1, 3 through 11, we get a glimpse of why Paul had defiant joy. Paul in the midst of his circumstances while he's in prison, while he's writing his letter, says I can have defiant joy and the number one reason is is because of their partnership with him. It says I'm thankful for you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, making all my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says I have this joy And it's not because it came out of nowhere. I have joy in my heart because when I think about you, I think about our partnership. I think about our friendship. You know, the book of Philippians is written with the language of friendship. And, and you hear it all throughout. He says, how I yearn to be with you. It's right for me to feel this way about you because there is a language of friendship and partnership and community. And he says, man, I have joy. I get to pull from your life. Like guys, church is so much more than coming to a service and hearing a guy talk. Like it's so much more than a transactional experience. It's you and I sitting at a table and sharing our lives. Like I love to Share the word of God. I love to preach. I love to come in here and worship any church I go to. But what gives me great joy, last week there was a girl that I've known for the last five years, and I got to see her graduate from high school with honors, and I'm in the stands, and I'm celebrating, and I'm clapping as if she was my own daughter because that brings me joy because of our partnership, our friendship. I'm doing life with them. When you do life with people, you get to pull. from. You guys ever had a friend that was, like, really funny? Like, they're just, like, they made you laugh, and when you were with them, you laughed more than usual. And, like, sometimes you, there was this synergy where, where you laugh and they laugh, and you just couldn't stop laughing. Like, friends in high school, college, I've had friends like that where I could just pull from them. Like, so when I'm down, I could just call them, and they would encourage me, and I could pull from them. And so here's Paul sitting in prison, writing this letter, and he's remembering the people that that he planted a church with, that that he invested his life with time and space, and he says, man, I'm just so joyful when I think of you, because even though I'm in prison and I'm writing you this letter and my circumstances suck, I see you're flourishing, and I take joy in that, because when you win, I win. I win and i take joy in that because we have a partnership a friendship of community where you share time and space we live in a time right now where it's one of the you know with all the social media with all the people we we still experience tremendous loneliness we, we experience tremendous loneliness and depression and anxiety, and as connected as we are with everyone, we still feel very alone. There's nothing that can make up for time and space investment. Listen to me, church. There's going to be a time when you need to pull from the people you've invested in. And there's a, a, a sacrificial investment of time and space in community. And, and church, as you do life together, God, you can get the best preaching online. You can get the best worship online. There are people out there that are professionals at this. What makes the body the church Christ is the relationships you share with one another. And community begins when the service ends. So when, 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 when we say amen and the prayer is done, all of a sudden now it's time to invest into the partnership to develop friendship, to cultivate that. Because as Paul says, I, I have joy. I have defiant joy because I know there are people that have locked arms with me in friendship. Two, it's because they have partnered with him financially. As the church that he planted, this is a church that sent him out to plant more churches. They were a church who gave sacrificially. He actually uses the Philippian church as an example to shame the Corinthian church to giving. (laughs) In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is like, yeah, you guys, you guys aren't giving that well, but you know, the Philippians, man, these guys, if you would give like the Philippians give, like you, you could, you would really be supporting me, but give as, as whatever the Lord puts on your heart to give. But, but he uses the Philippians as an example who sacrificially gave. And I just remember studying this and thinking about City Boulder Church and Anchor Church, and and this is why I have joy. Like, I'll scroll on social media, and I'll see events you guys are doing as a church, and I know how you have partnered with us financially. And I get joy out of liking your posts and saying great job and the baptisms that you have because there's a partnership there. And you pull from the investment that you make. They partnered financially with them. And third, they partnered as co-laborers in the gospel. They just didn't receive the gospel message. They also shared the gospel message. They they were co-laboring on mission with Paul. They linked arms with Paul. And that's what he says in verse 6 and 7. In verse 6 and 7, He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They too were sharing the gospel. See, there was a co-mission, there was a co-laboring that knit their hearts together. Uh, a, a church, there, there's a there's a joy that comes in doing life and mission together when we are all on the same team. If, if, if this is just uh, uh uh the church you show up to, but but you don't share what God is doing in your life, you you miss out on that partnership. At Anchor, we we ask every one of our members to not only go through discipleship, but to make disciples. Everyone, if you come to Anchor Church, we want to make sure that you've been discipled so you get to spend one-on-one time, relational time with someone that have went through discipleship with us, and then we ask you that once you've been discipled that you go make disciples because you can't really buy in to link arms and to partner with us until you begin to share what God is doing in your life, and oftentimes we're not equipped to do that. We're not equipped. We don't feel like we're ready. We don't feel like we're confident. And you know what? If you've never been discipled, it's hard for you to imagine discipling someone else. And so we, we try to make that process super easy because we want disciples making disciples so you can partner with what God is doing in the furthering of the gospel In partnership because you get to pull from joy because when you share what God is doing and you see someone that you've led to Christ or someone in the church that's led them to Christ and, and they're getting baptized. You get to have joy in that it's defiant outside of your circumstances. You guys still with me? So Paul has defined joy. Why? Because of their partnership with him. They partnered in many ways, but they shared their life with him. Number two, it was God's work, not his Paul had defiant joy because the work that was happening in the Philippians was not his work. It was God's work. And I love this passage. And we, we may camp here for a little while. Verse 6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like, like, I am confident that this is God at work in your life. It's not me. And so he had joy From a distance, seeing what God has started. So so when Paul showed up to the Philippian community, he it was God that was already at work in their hearts. We have this core value at anchor called divine anticipation. Divine anticipation really just means that God is already at work. He's already at work in the neighborhood. He's already at work in people at Starbucks. He's already at work with people at the gym. And our job with divine anticipation is to partner with God in his work. Like God is at work, and all we do is we come alongside God to partner with him. And so there's an opportunity that shows up to say, hey, man, what what what's God doing in your life? Last week I was working out at the gym, and uh, the Vasa in Denver is packed. Always packed. It's like they just—it's just too many people in there all the time. And so me and my buddy were working out, and one of the guys says, "Hey, do you want to share these these weights with me?" It was like we we're trying to do this chest workout, and we were waiting, and we we're like, "Yeah, sure, we'll we'll do that." Um, and before you know it, this guy had a like, like covering on his arm, and it looked like he had just gotten a fresh tattoo, and so we're starting conversation with him as we're working out. We're like, oh, you got some new ink? Like, is that a fresh tattoo? And he's like, no, actually, I was just in a motorcycle accident, and, um, you know, I got out alive. Thank God for that, and we're like, oh, man, you know, as as the conversation continued, all of a sudden, he's talking about, I'm like, well, how did the accident happen? Like, man, God spared your life, And, and I always wear, like, my Christian T-shirts and like sweaters. So people know I'm a pastor. (laughs) I'm going to talk to you about Jesus at some point. So it's like, okay. And and so as we're having this conversation, he he tells us, I, I wasn't in my right mind. It was a late night. I was, I was depressed and I tried to hit a gear that I wasn't supposed to hit. And, um, and, and he said, I've been talking to God a lot. And that was the cue for me. I was like, oh, okay. you said God. That means it's a go. (laughs) You're about to hear about Jesus, bro. So I'm like, hey, man, you you go to church anywhere? (laughs) And all of a sudden the conversation starts. I'm like, man, I would love to hear your story. I'd love to share my testimony with you. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. Like like this God really just spared you. Like God is already at work. And we just partner with God in that. And so Paul says, man, I'm confident in this. He that began a good work in you is going to complete it. Because before Paul ever showed up, God was already at work in the Philippians. He has already been preparing their hearts to receive. And so they receive Jesus to be their personal Lord and Savior. And then God takes them through the process of sanctification. God working in them. Um, in Philippians chapter verse 13, Paul will later say this. He says, "Um, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I mean, that is a comforting thought. That is a joyful thought. Like it is God at work in us both to will, like even desire. Like you woke up and you said, man, I want to come to church this morning. That was God working in you. Like that thought just didn't happen. Like the desire to say, man, I want to read my Bible. That is the Holy Spirit of God working in you. And so Paul from a distance can have confidence because it was not Paul who started the work in the Philippian church. It was God. It was God who began the sanctification process. You see, God is working in us. It is God work in us that's the process of sanctification, and God working through us, which creates gospel proclamation. So some of us may not have a lot of joy because of where we want to be with God. You're like, man, I I, I, I keep falling short. I keep falling short in areas of my life where I know I need to be better, and I keep making mistakes where I know I need to be better, and it's it's hard to have joy when you just don't measure up to the standard, but the work of God in you is slow. It's gradual. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul talks about the work of God, and he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. He says that the growth that happens in us is fruit. It's it's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. That is the work of God in you. That's the process of sanctification. But he gives us a clue of what that work looks like, and he says, because he calls it fruit. And if you've ever planted fruit anywhere, if you've ever planted vegetables, you know you plant something, and then you watch. And if you watch long enough you'll see a little bit of growth. But it doesn't happen overnight. Real, lasting, transformative growth by the Holy Spirit is slow. It's gradual. You don't see it happening. And our sanctification is just like that. And you can have joy in the midst of God working in you because you know that it's God at work. It's not you. And every time you get frustrated and you tell God, God, I'll never do this again. I'll never mess up again. I'm never going to, you know what Paul says? I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Real change is slow. The sanctification process is slow, but it's fruit of the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And the power is it's it's in, it's in, it's in, it's gradualness. When, when you think about a bamboo plant, when a bamboo plant is planted, you don't see any change, any growth, nothing in the surface for the first five years. The first five years of a bamboo plant, when the seed is planted, all you see happening is, if you were to see through it like an ultrasound, roots. It just gets roots. For the first five years, it grows down. And on the fifth year, it shoots up. It shoots up. Some of us, we get so discouraged because we're like, God, Why am I not changing? Why why am I not arriving? Why are we not there yet? How come I haven't accomplished what I want to accomplish? How come I'm not living the way I want to live? How come I'm not free of this addiction? You know, we have people come up and share testimonies of breakthrough. And one person will come up and they will share what God has done in their life and they're free from addiction, they're free from alcohol and it's a testimony and people are celebrating and for every one testimony that's on stage, there may be five people in the congregation that are still struggling with that sin. But one day, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion because as the roots go down, Regardless of what the outside circumstances say, I can have defiant joy in the Lord, that God is at work in me, because one day you're going to get that breakthrough, because it's not just the fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's the greatest powerful change agent, this side of eternity you will get that breakthrough you will overcome you will it will accomplish what God intends to accomplish because the fruit of the spirit will do what he wants to do the holy spirit will do what he wants to do and so it is god at work in our sanctification and in our proclamation uh, i want to go to 1 corinthians chapter 3 verse 7 because this is what he says to the philippians about the work He says, I'm confident of this, that he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. 1 Corinthians 3.7 says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Not only in our sanctification, but in our proclamation, in our gospel proclamation, in the work that we're doing around us. It's God. It's God at work. I can have joy and I can share my faith With boldness and confidence because it's God at work. Somebody waters, another one plants, God brings the increase. We are so small when it comes to kingdom work. I know missionaries in Denver that have labored for years. Years. East Colfax, working with refugees, labored for years, and within months of them moving out, they've been forgotten. People will, people will forget you, rightfully so. That's good news. Nobody knows who built this church building. Whoever built this building, they've been forgotten. Ministries will come and go. Speakers will come and go. But it is God who began a good work that brings it to completion. It is God who brings the increase The fact that you get revelation when someone preaches, it's God. Like we as ministers and proclaimers of the gospel, we are just tools in in the hands of the master. Like there's nothing special about a spoon. You guys have like a spoon set and knife set, you know what I'm saying? You use one for one meal and you put it in the dishwasher, you clean it up, you use another one. There's nothing special about a spoon. That that That's us, guys. There's nothing special about us. It is God who does it. And so Paul can sit in prison and look at the church he planted, who he's labored with, who he's worked on and say, doesn't matter if you ever remember me after this day. Because he who began a good work in you will complete it. I'm full of joy because I know it's God's work, not mine. I can entrust him. I can trust him because he is faithful. You guys with me? Man, he is faithful. And we can have joy in that. My third point is um, he prays promises, not problems. Verse 9 He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This whole section we've covered is really a prayer and we have to remember that it's a prayer. And Paul is in prison. He is in the center of the world, which is Rome. Uh, he is awaiting trial by Caesar, the most powerful person on the planet at that time. He has been uh, falsely accused, and he is sitting in a prison cell by himself in shackles. There is a guard on post 24 hours a day. Uh, he gets one visitor, and we know in uh, through the book of Colossians, there's a, na- name, a man by the name of Titicus who gets to come in and gets to visit him, and, and as he is speaking Titicus pins as fast as he can what's going on and this is Paul's prayer for you and I he doesn't pray his problems he prays the promises of God he is living in the midst of what he believes God will do he doesn't begin this letter with his needs he doesn't talk about man if it was me I just gotta be honest with y'all if I was, like, wrongfully accused and in prison and I'm writing you a letter, <laughs> I'm going to say, yo, <laughs> come petition for me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I need protest. I need I need everyone out here. Bring people from Boulder, Boulder. Bring the 50,000, right? Like, come to the prison. Knock on the door. Like, Like, come get me, right? Like, if it's you and I and we're wrongfully in prison and we're writing letters, we're probably focusing on problems. But Paul, man, he is beyond that. He's living in a place where he just is, his eyes are fixated on him. And that's all he sees. And he's living in the midst of the promises of God. And he prays, man. David Crump says this about this prayer Paul asked nothing in moderation for the people of Philippi. He says, man, I I want you to just abound in all the promises of God. I I want God to just do this work in you. And over the next four chapters, you will read about God doing this work and these promises. And he says, man, I, I want you to just know it. You see, when we go into prayer and we start to pray, how we pray, what we pray for tells us a lot about us. It tells us a lot about where our hearts and our minds are at. And Paul is saying, in this prayer, as I start this letter, eventually at the end of the Philippians uh, book, he talks about the needs and he he shares that stuff. But as he begins, he's really focused on promises. Like, what has God promised? And let's focus on that. Prayer is an application of the promises. When you pray, you begin to apply the very promises you're believing for. There's a knowing. Paul says in that verse, and I know. With knowledge and discernment, there is a deeper knowing to the very person of God. And when we pray and we get to look at his face, we get to know him. And he can have defiant joy in the midst of all this because there is a knowing. You know, some things we just believe, other things we know, and we don't know until we experience it. There's an experiential knowledge. The Hebrew word for that is yada, to know, right? Like there are some of us who know you shouldn't, Touch a stove, we believe you shouldn't touch a stove, right? Like they say, don't touch a hot stove, it's going to burn you. And there are some of us who know because we've touched a hot stove. The difference is some of us have experiential knowledge, personal experiential knowledge. When your parents told you, don't touch that hot stove, and you did it. There's a knowing. How much of our belief is something that we've heard, and how much of it is yada? something that we've personally experienced and know. And so here's Paul in prison, and he is praying the promises of God, not the problems, because he knows, he has experienced, he has lived in it, and he wants the Philippians to live, to know the very promises of God. There is a reality beyond our circumstances, and you can fixate your life on the reality of who God is and what he said and work vertically, or you can orientate your life around your problems, right? And then prayer becomes about problem solving. It becomes a guide to how do I fix my problems. You know the problem with praying like that is that as soon as one problem is fixed, another one comes. Like we never win when we just pray through our problems because there's always more problems. But when you live in the promises of God, you can live with a defiant joy that says, regardless of what I'm facing on the outside, I know the promises that God has spoken to me. I love what this verse says here, Second Corinthians one twenty. It says, for all the promises of God are yes and in him. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit as our hearts guarantee. All the promises of God are yes and amen as we find ourselves in him. Where have you oriented your life? Defiant joy, regardless of what you're going through, where does Paul get the boldness, the confidence to pray, to pray this kind of prayer in prison as his knees are on cold concrete? Where does he get that from? Because he knows. In Acts chapter 16, him and Silas were going to a prayer meeting, and they deliver a girl who was in bondage, and they get wrongfully accused, and they get beaten, and they get thrown into prison, right? And here they are in this experience and in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and that the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bounds were unfastened. Paul says, I've been here before. I know how this ends. It's going to end in my favor. And I have the audacity to sing psalms and hymns and to pray in the reality of God's promises because I know, I just don't believe God will show up. I know God will show up and he will work in my favor. I can have defiant joy because my praise is a problem for my problem. When I begin to sing and I orientate my life and what God has said, the things around me will eventually get in line with the one who is above me. I can live in defiant joy because God is always at work. God is always at work doing what only he can do. I can live with defiant joy because there are people that God has put into my life to partner with me that I can pull from. Church, we can live with defiant joy every day of our life, regardless of if it's a good day, a bad day, whether you're on vacation or whether you're at work, whether... All hell has broken loose in your life, and nothing is going right. You can live with defiant joy, as our hearts are fixated on him. And today, as we respond and as we worship, this will be an opportunity for you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know with what you're dealing with, but he does. He does. And you can walk out of here with tremendous joy. You can walk out of here with weight lifted off your shoulder with peace as you apply the promises of God through prayer. In Philippians 2, it says, if you're anxious, pray. If you're anxious about anything, he says, pray and apply the promise. And when you pray, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will fill your hearts and minds with Christ Jesus when you orientate your life vertically, God would just do it. He would do it. And so I'm going to just pray for you. Um, And I'm honored to be able to share the word with you all this morning. Earlier I talked about discipleship. And if that's something that you've never been through, um, I I brought some books with me. It's called Marks of Discipleship. This is what we go through at Anchor. If you've never been discipled, if you've if you've never walked with somebody through discipleship, I talked to Pastor Drake. He said, man, bring the books. This is something we put everyone through. Um, they're out there in the back. And and I just want it to be a blessing to you. Uh, I, I, we don't make any profit off these books. We, we sell them for $15 because we want to give them away to people that can't afford it. Um, we, I go to a lot of youth conferences, youth camps over the summer, and we get a lot of kids that are under underprivileged. And so we just give books away. And so if you want one of these books, um, I'll be back there. We give them up for $15. If you can't afford it, just come grab one because <laughs> it's not about the money for us. It's about seeing disciples make disciples. And um, I love you. I'm thankful for you. And there is joy for you today. So don't leave here carrying stuff you don't need to carry, because God is at work. And he knew that you were going to be here in this moment, that you were going to hear this message, and you were going to have an opportunity to pray into joy. Let me just pray for you. Lord Jesus, I so thank you for what you're doing a city church boulder God you're at work there are people here that love you that have committed their lives to you that have went all in for you and Jesus would you fill their hearts and minds with just tremendous joy this morning may they leave here with such peace May their countenance be different. May they look different, Lord. We pray against depression and anxiety and fear. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. And if, that, if that's you and, you, and you walked in here with so much anxiety and fear, man, the Lord just says, man, cast your cares upon me. He says he cares for you. Just cast them upon the Lord. He gives more grace to the humble. When you humble yourself and you say, Lord, I just, I'm afraid, I'm just anxious, I just don't know, and the promise is applied to you, and he gives you peace. Lord, would you have your way in this room as people respond, as people pray, as we worship? Would our praise be a problem for our problems, Lord? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.